we are uh, delighted to have with us our Vice President of International Ministries, Tim Crouch. If uh, you're newer to the Christian Missionary Alliance, you need to know that you're part of something much bigger than Alliance Bible Church. The, uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance has about 2,000 churches in the United States, uh, but that's just a drop in the bucket compared to the international presence the Alliance has. And uh, a big part of that goes back to our roots. Uh, we are founded by a gentleman by the name of A.B. Simpson, who was a Presbyterian minister, uh, but whose heart was broken for those in places that had not had access to the gospel. And it was through a very big vision that he had to reach lost people that churches like this have been birthed. And uh, so, so Tim Crouch is our, uh, kind of the leader of the international gospel movement that takes place through churches like this. And uh, so it's really neat to be able to have him in our uh, church this morning to speak to us, to share with us just a little bit uh, of what God is doing on the international scene and how he's doing that through people like, like us. So uh, we're really delighted to have him with us. He's married to his wife, Shelly. They have four kids, and they're on the verge of pushing the last one out of the nest. <laughs> so I look forward to hearing um, what your empty nest trip will be. Uh, would you please welcome our Vice President of International Ministries, Tim Crouch. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> wow, we have had uh, a lot of trips in our life. So, yeah, I wonder what that empty nest trip will look like, huh? Hey, great to be here. Uh, it's great to make this trip to your place uh, this weekend. Uh, we live in Colorado, so I'm not too awfully far from home. Uh, but it's good to get out here and spend this weekend with you. I had a good time yesterday uh, at a couple of events, and uh, it's great to worship with you uh, in the church this morning. Um, Brian mentioned my wife, Shelly. She's, uh, she's a, a girl who grew up in Wisconsin. Uh, she, her family lived in Milwaukee when she was a little girl. Uh, she had some other family that lived up this direction, actually. Uh, and uh, so that's something fun for me in the years that I've been married to her is to, is to kind of learn the Wisconsin stories that are part of her family. Um, you know, I didn't know that when I first met her, and I didn't know anything about Wisconsin. I'd never been to Wisconsin. Uh, I didn't know about cheeseheads and, and uh, you know, all those kinds of good things. All I knew was I was interested in that girl. <laughs> Uh, but as I got to know her and as we got married, I realized, wow, with her comes this whole family, and, uh, and they're folks like you. So uh, that's funny how that works, you know. Uh, and I, I just want to say that uh, and tell that story to say about what Pastor Brian said this morning. Your church uh, is a place that you've come because something here's caught your interest. Maybe this is where you heard the good news of Jesus. Uh, or maybe you moved to this town and said, I'm looking for a good church and this is the one. But as you get to know this church now, this church is part of a big family. Uh, and that's the family that Pastor Brian was talking about, uh, about 2,000 churches across the United States. Uh, and that family of churches is important. I want to talk today about how, how the gospel spreads in the way that God intended it to, how the good news of Jesus makes it from one group of people to another around the world in the way that God planned. And families of churches are very important in that story. 
uh, in that process. So you're part of a family of churches, uh, and as you heard, it's uh, you know, a couple thousand churches across uh, the land of this country, uh, and from us uh, go people uh, to serve in other countries, and today there are missionaries from our churches in about 64 countries, probably over the, uh, over the decades, uh, they, they have served in about 90 countries of the world. Uh, today, in 60 of those countries, there's a new family of churches, uh, c- kind of like this one. Some of those families of churches in some countries are actually larger than our family of churches in this country. Uh, I could name five countries to you right now that have more churches in the network that grew up from Alliance missions uh, in their country than we have here uh, in our Alliance family. But as the family grows, uh, that's a pattern I'll show you this morning that God uses to continue the process of the sharing of the gospel with all the people he intended to hear it. Uh, and so I want to sh- I- I- I talk to you about how that process works today. And what I really want to ask is, if we want to be on that journey with God, what does that look like? What kind of people ought we to be if we're going to be on the journey that God's on? And uh, uh, I want to challenge you to see that God wants you in that process not only to be a receiver, uh, but a giver. So we'll talk about that. Um, What kind of people ought we to be? Well, the the title uh, of the message today is Kingdom People, and I want to use that word that Jesus used a lot uh, to talk about this, because um, uh, what Jesus was saying when he talked, when he spoke about the kingdom is there's a different realm, a different level uh, on which we can live if we're really in tune what God's doing. So Jesus would say to people who went to the temple uh, and who, or who, was, who were in the synagogues in places like um, in Galilee where he lived, uh, he would say, you know, it's one thing to be part of the, of the community, the, the synagogue. It's one thing to be part of the, of the town and just live our lives out. But there's another level. <laughs> there's a different reality called the kingdom of God and, and that's the reality in which God is on the move for his purposes, and he invites us to live on that level. So what's it look like to be kingdom people? That's what I want to unpack today. To do that, we're going to look at a passage of scripture from 1 Peter chapter 2, and, uh, and then I have four words uh, that characterize what kind of people are kingdom people. They, all those four words start with the letter P. So I hope that will help us remember them as we go from here today. But let's start by reading from 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm I'm going to begin reading in verse 4 and read down through verse 12. This is Peter talking to some folks, and I'll tell you in a moment who they were. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, he calls him a living stone, Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 
Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. Wow, what an interesting passage of scripture. Uh, let me try to see if I can unpack it for you, and I want you to see the, the kinds of people Peter says we can be and we ought to be if we live in the kingdom of God. That's what we want to do this morning. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you the four words that start with P. The first one is the word precious. Did you notice how many times the word precious uh, occurred in this passage? Uh, it was when he was talking about Jesus, this living stone, and he's precious to you. This is a precious cornerstone. But he not only describes Jesus as precious to us, he goes on to describe us as precious to God. Did you see that? Look, especially the key verse in this chapter is verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen to this phrase, God's special possession. Now, here's what I want you to know about uh, the, the people who received this letter from Peter. Uh, they were Jewish people by heritage who had come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah after they heard about him in Israel, and then they were shooed out of Israel. Let me remind you of the story. If you know uh, the Bible story, if you go back to the book of Acts, after Jesus had died, after he was resurrected from the dead and went back to heaven, the church began to grow in Jerusalem and in Judea. That was part of Israel, the nation of Israel. These were people that were Jewish, but they came to understand, oh, wow, Jesus is the promised one. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. We can follow him. Uh, that's where, that is how he, it is through him that God is going to save us. And so people began to believe in Jesus. Now, if we read the, the, the book of Acts, we get to chapter 7, and, and there was one particular man that stood up and preached sermons out on the street in Jerusalem. His name was Stephen. And he was sharing, and he was preaching hard about, you've got to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one God promised, even though you crucified him and, and, and delivered him over to the Romans. And people got mad at Stephen, and they started throwing stones at him, and they, and they stoned him to death. That's chapter 7. The beginning of chapter 8 in the book of Acts says this, after the death of Stephen, 
there rose a great persecution against the believers, and they were scattered. It, these are the people that Peter's writing to. They lived in Jerusalem, they lived in Israel, they believed in Jesus, but when people got mad about the message of Jesus and chased them, they were scattered. And now they were living out in different parts of the Roman Empire. They were in some of the big cities like Antioch uh, or Thessalonica uh, or uh, the, the, the places like Athens even. They had spread out throughout the Roman Empire. And they were living among the pagans. Uh, you heard that word in verse 12. They were out there. They were living as foreigners and exiles. They didn't plan to live out there, but they, now all of a sudden they find themselves out there, and everyone around them is different than them. And, and these are not God-honoring people. This was, a, this was a, a wild place to live from their point of view. They grew up Jewish. They followed the law. They ate kosher food. They were careful about the way they behaved, and now they're living out in the pagan world. And they felt like they were lost. So Peter says to them, listen, you're not lost. <laughs> you need to understand what God's up to. And the first thing you need to understand is that you are precious to him. He hasn't forgotten about you. You're not lost. You're precious. Now, catch this. What you need to understand is those kinds of people who, who grew up Jewish, they knew the Old Testament. And when they heard Peter's letter, Peter is using phrases that made them say, oh, I know where that's from. That's from the Old Testament. That was from God's promises to us. Maybe we don't recognize that when we read this passage, but they did. And so here's the one. That phrase, you are God's special possession. That phrase in Greek reminds them, because they were reading the Old Testament in its Greek translation, uh, it reminds them of Exodus chapter 19. Let me read you a couple of verses from Exodus chapter 19. God said in Exodus, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you, the nation of Israel, out of Egypt on eagles' wings, and I brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. That phrase, my treasured possession, is the exact same phrase that Peter's using in 1 Peter chapter 2, God's special possession. So he's reminding them, hey, don't think you're lost because you don't live in Israel anymore, because you're out amongst the pagans. You are actually God's special possession out there. You see, he's reminding them that it, it's not because you were Jewish that you're God's special possession. It's because you belong now to Jesus that you're God's special possession. It's a special and wonderful thing to belong to Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone, and he's precious to those who understand that and believe. And not only that, but those people are precious to him no matter where they find themselves in the world. So that's the first thing that I want you to know about kingdom people, is that they're precious to God. They're precious people, and they have a precious and special relationship to God. Another verse that probably resonated in their ears when they heard Peter's words comes from Isaiah chapter 43. Listen what's written there. But now, this is what the Lord says, who created you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You are my very own. When they heard those words, my special possession, they would remember Isaiah 43. 
So first and foremost, uh, when, when we think about the fact that God doesn't just want us to motor through life as regular Mequon or Cedarburg uh, people who just go about life the same as everybody else, he wants us to live on a different plane called his kingdom. And the first thing that's true about living on that plane is that we realize what a special, what a precious thing it is to know Jesus, to have had the opportunity to hear about him, to enter into that relationship. Let's not ever take for granted that we had the opportunity to meet Jesus. It's a precious, precious thing. Now, why is that important when, when Peter's trying to talk to people about what it means to live for God's kingdom out there in the, among the pagans of the world? Why is it important that he starts with this? Here's why. Because the Bible teaches us again and again, and Peter's just reinforcing it here, the motivation for missions, the motivation for making sure that others have the chance to hear the good news of Jesus begins with gratitude that I ever got a chance to hear in the first place. If we don't have that motivation, it's not going to happen. Other people are not going to have the miracle of hearing about Jesus unless we realize what it was, what a miracle it was that we got to hear ourselves. Do you get that? So he says, folks, this is a precious thing, and you're a precious people. That's where motivation begins. I hope that you are as thrilled today to know Jesus as you were the day you found out about him. I hope that you are as thrilled today with what it means to be forgiven of sin as you were the day you first asked to be forgiven of sin. Because it's when we're in touch with the precious miracle that it is that we know Jesus that we're going to be motivated to make sure that others hear about him as well. So kingdom people, first of all, are precious, and they have a precious relationship with God. Let's move on to the second P word that I want to share with you, and it's this word, priest. Uh, did you hear that? You are to be a holy priesthood, uh, a royal priesthood. Um, now, let me tell you, Jewish people, like we're reading his letter, they knew a thing or two about priests because they remember priests all of their lives. Priests are people who stand between God and other people. And they play this role of bringing God and what he says to the people. And they also play the role of bringing those people before God and asking God to work on their behalf. That's what a priest does. And these guys were missing their priests. Out in the Roman Empire, they, did, they couldn't go to the temple anymore. There wasn't a temple to go to. There weren't Jewish priests who entered the holy place and, and spoke to God on behalf of the people. And they came out of the holy place and spoke to the people on behalf of God. They missed that. Peter says to them, now you're the priests. <laughs> you're out there in the world where you live with purpose. There's a reason God has you there, and he has you there to be priests on behalf of those who live around you. These people were saying, wow, we don't like living in Thessalonica. We don't like living in Corinth. These people are scary. <laughs> they fight. They go to the fights in the arena all the time. They're, they're sleeping around with others. They're, it's a crazy world we live in. And, and Peter says, you're not there to be lost amongst them. You're actually there to be priests 
among them. (laughs) Bring them before God and bring God to them. Let them see God through you. This is the way we are to live in the kingdom of God. We are to be priests on behalf of others. Now, they would know this, and it would resonate with them quickly when they read his words, again, because they remembered the Old Testament. Remember Exodus 19, we read from, and it said, you, uh, out of all nations, will be my treasured possession. Let me read you the very next verse. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation among the others. You see, that's what he's saying to them. We read from Isaiah 43 that I've summoned you and you are my very own. He goes on in chapter 43 to say, you are the people I formed for myself that you may declare my praise. That phrase, formed for myself that you may declare my praise, is very similar to what he says here in verse 9. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into wonderful light. So they would have connected this. Ah, that's what God wants. We always thought the priests were for us, but now it's time for us to be the priests for others. We've been saved that we might Give praise to God amongst the nations. We've been called to him in order that we might call others to him. There's that turning. That's what it means to be priests. And folks, this is how God wants us to live our life. And he wants us to be priests, not just on behalf of our own family or those near us, but specifically to be priests among the pagans, (laughs) among the other nations that don't yet know about Jesus. They don't yet know the good news. Here's where I want to stop and talk to you about how our family uh, of churches works in the world. We want to be in step with God with what he's doing. I I think of the Bible this way. Uh, It's it's bound by two promises. I call them the bookend promises because the whole Bible fits in between them. The first bookend promise is in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless you with lots of descendants and through you and your descendants, I'm going to bless all the peoples of earth. Genesis chapter 12 verse 3, that's what he said. I will bless all the peoples of earth. Now, if we go to the end of the Bible, we get to Revelation chapter 7. In Revelation chapter 7, there's this picture, and Jesus is up in heaven on his throne. And around him is a throng of people, and they're all dressed in white. Their lives have been changed. They're in precious relationship with the lamb who sits on the throne. And they're, and they're, they're shouting out to him, and they're saying, salvation belongs to the Lord our God. He's become their personal God. They're in that precious relationship with him. And then the scripture tells us in verse 9, of Revelation chapter 7, that in that throng of people are some from every tribe and tongue and nation and family on the earth. So do you see the promise to Abraham in Genesis comes true around the throne of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Those are the bookend uh, promises of scripture and basically all of scripture and all of history is the story of God moving from making this promise to seeing it fulfilled at the end. That's the journey God is on. When we are kingdom people, we are choosing to live 
in his journey, to get on the journey with him, to be part of what he's doing. And when we do that, we play a priestly role. We recognize where God has put me, or maybe even where God would send me that I never would have thought of, is a place where he wants me to be a priest, bringing him and his word to people, bringing those people before him. That's what it means to live for the kingdom. And that's what drives the way our Alliance family uh, is involved in reaching the world for Christ. Let me, let me quickly show you a slide that I use to explain the vision of our, of our ministry, of international ministries of the Alliance. This is, this is our 700 missionaries that serve around the world. And I like to describe the vision with seven words. This is gospel access for and from all peoples. Gospel access for and from all peoples. When we close our eyes and think about what is God calling us to do, this is what we want to see. Number one, we want to see that people that don't currently have access to the gospel will get it. That's gospel access for people. But ultimately, we want to make sure not only that they get it, but that amongst them, a family of churches grows up. Because guess what? It's a family of churches that keeps giving the gospel to their own people generation after generation. Anybody here, you heard the gospel from a missionary who came from outside your people? Not very many of us. Most of us heard the gospel because our own people could share it with us. Where I grew up and lived, there, was, there were churches. There was a family of churches that cared to share the good news with me. And I became part of that and I heard the good news. You know, I believe that's God's heart for every people. That every people group of earth would not only hear the gospel, it's, if they don't have it inside their group, it's got to come from the outside, but that ultimately there'll be a family of churches that keeps giving the gospel to people all the time, generation after generation, until Jesus comes back. And happily, when there's a family of churches that does that, God will also lead that family of churches to send the word beyond to still other people that haven't heard yet. This is the way that the promise will be fulfilled. This is the way that the bookend promises come together. And we see that the promise of Genesis chapter 12 is realized uh, in that picture of Revelation chapter 7. It's what God does. Let me tell you a story that illustrates it quickly. And I've got to watch my time here. I want to tell you about the Bunong people. The Bunong people are a, a, a culture group, a language group of people that live in the country of Cambodia. Now, to tell you the story of the Bunong people well, I have to back up and talk about another group of people called the Manong people. <laughs> if you see where Cambodia is located, I've got the word Vietnam over there to show you. On that border to the southeast, uh, yeah, to the southeast uh, is Vietnam. The Manong people lived in Vietnam, and in the 1960s and 70s, missionaries came to the Manong people. They had no access to the good news of Jesus amongst them, but missionaries came from the outside and brought it to them. And some Manong people began to follow Jesus. And a family of churches grew up amongst the Manong. Across the river in Cambodia, the Bunong people heard that story. And they said, hey, why don't you guys send some of those missionaries over here to us? We'd kind of like to hear about Jesus. 
Well, to make a long story short, the war got bad, and that never happened. The missionaries never made it across the river. Uh, they, they wound up getting kicked out of the country when, when, when everything fell apart in 1975, and the Bunong people didn't have missionaries come to tell them about Jesus. Uh, through the 70s and 80s, things were really bad in Cambodia. It was a terrible time. The Khmer Rouge regime was in control. Uh, eventually, the Khmer Rouge was so bad, and things were so crazy in Cambodia that the Vietnamese army invaded to get rid of that government. Um, and an interesting thing happened. After Vietnam invaded Cambodia, that opened the border, and people began to go back and forth. And guess what happened? The Monong people from Vietnam came to the Bunong people in Cambodia, and they shared the good news of Jesus with them. So missionaries didn't come from afar. They came from right across the river. They heard the good news of Jesus. Today, there are a few dozen Bunong churches full of people worshiping Jesus this morning, just like we are, amongst the Bunong people. That picture that you see uh, on there is when they were dedicating the translation of the New Testament uh, into the Bunong language. So now they have their own Bible they can use in their churches. Now, why do I tell you this whole story? Look how the Monong people received the gospel and they gave it to the Bunong people. Now, the happy story is this. There's a third people group you need to hear about. They live to the north of the Bunong. They're called the Timon people. <laughs> the Timon people have no believers. But just last year, these couple dozen Bunong churches said, we will send one of us up to the Timon so that they too can hear the good news of Jesus. Do you see how it works? That's gospel access being made available for a people so that then a network of church will grow up that, uh, that say, hey, we can send further to others. This is the way the promise will be fulfilled. If God's people, like amongst the Manong, like amongst the Bunong, like amongst the Mekwan, if we will be priests, if we will live on the kingdom level, if we would say, I want my life to count for more than just getting up and going to work every day and putting a roof over my head and uh, you know, having the cars I want in my garage, if we will choose to live on a radically different level called the kingdom of God and we're willing to be priests out among the pagans, God will use us as part of his story leading from Genesis chapter 12 to Revelation chapter 7. I'm telling you, that's the way I want to live. I hope you do too. All right, we've got two more P words, and we're going to wrap this up. The third P word is a funny one. It's the word peculiar. <laughs> I don't know what you call peculiar these days, but uh, when I was a kid, I remember reading this passage of Scripture in the King James Bible. Any of you remember the King James? All right, in the King James Bible, that phrase, you are God's special possession, was translated, you are a peculiar people. Uh, because uh, in the 1500s, in the 1600s, uh, that word peculiar meant very unique, very special, very different. Uh, it didn't have the negative connotation. Today, if they call me peculiar, they mean, you know, a little different and maybe kind of a bad way. Um, so we don't use that word. You'll notice a modern English translation doesn't use that word. But that, that word was used because there's something about God's people that's just different. They're unique. They, they, they live on a different plane, like I've been saying. Uh, Peter says to these people, hey, dear friends, don't live like the foreigners around you. Look, you're out there now amongst the pagans, and they are a wild bunch. They're, 
they party and they're, you know, don't fall into that. Don't live like them. But the point that he's making is not a bunch of don'ts, a bunch of legalistic, hey, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. He's saying you have an opportunity amongst them to be different, to live differently. Let them see your good works as you live amongst them because they'll wind up glorifying God. We gotta be peculiar. We gotta be willing to live differently. We gotta be willing to do the, the odd and different if that's what God calls to do. And I love that about being part of the kingdom. Being part of God's kingdom is not boring. <laughs> What's boring is when we don't get in step with God. You wanna have an adventure in life, go with God and what he's doing to complete his promise, to make sure that all the peoples of earth get a chance to hear. Let me show you a picture. Uh, a little story I want to uh, talk about, uh, peculiar, thinking about, wow, what are the different and crazy things that people do to be in step with God? Um, this is a picture from Indonesia. Uh, the reason it's got words on the one side is it's actually, I actually took this photo out of our magazine, that Alliance Life magazine that, that uh, your church gets, and you can get a free, free subscription to that and read about what's going on around the world. But here's this picture. Uh, the guy on the right in the picture is Eric Maxey. He's an American missionary. He lives in Indonesia. Uh, Indonesia is one of those places where there's a family of churches larger than our own. Uh, uh, through the work of Alliance missionaries over about 70 years, there are now about 3,000 churches all across the islands of Indonesia. But here's the thing. Indonesia's a very diverse population. There's all kinds of different peoples and languages in Indonesia. Most of those people that have come into these churches that are now followers of Jesus uh, are people who used to be spirit worshipers. They used to appease the spirits and, and try to keep track of which spirit's responsible for that. And they were afraid and they, they tried to make sacrifices so that the evil spirits would leave them alone. Um, and those are the people that became Christians and that are in many of these churches. But the nation of Indonesia itself is actually predominantly Muslim. Most of the people in Indonesia are not, they never were spiritists. They never were traditional religionists, uh, appeasing spirits. They've always been Muslims. And so now you've got these 3,000 churches and they're, they're looking around saying, what about our Muslim friends? They need to know Jesus. So to make a long story short, those churches and that family, they identified 24 different language groups in Indonesia itself that are all Muslim and don't yet know about Jesus. There aren't believers in Jesus amongst them. And they're saying, we're going to go out and we're going to live among them. We're going to find a way to move to where they live. We're going to live their kind of life and we're going to try to reach them uh, in Jesus' name. And sometimes our American missionaries team up with them to go and do that. So here's Eric sitting there, and the, the fellow he's sitting with, now this guy was a pastor of one of those churches. So he's from, you know, he grew up in a Christian family, and for 24 years he was a pastor. But he heard God speaking to him about, what about the Muslims? Let's reach them too. So he quit his job as a pastor, and he moved to one of these 24 people groups. To be there, he needed a way to make money. And in that particular part of Indonesia, coffee beans grow, and a very interesting and special thing happens that allows him to make money. And that is that in that part of Indonesia, there are wild cats out in the jungle, and they help process the coffee to make it special for the people who want to buy it. 
So here's a pastor, 24 years in a church amongst his own people, but he heard God's call. He left that behind, and he went to live amongst a Muslim people group where nobody knows Jesus. And in order to live there and make a living, he's making cat-dropping coffee. It's called kapalua. Uh, it's, uh, they're bagging it up and exporting it out of the country. It's actually quite a business because people pay a high price for this. And that allows him to live amongst these people and work with them, actually helping some of them get jobs <laughs> and make money by the exporting of this coffee. And it gives him the opportunity to live amongst them and be a priest. He brings them before God and he brings God to them. That's a peculiar story. I wonder what peculiar stories God would write in our lives if we say yes, like this guy that was a pastor for 24 years. Being part of the kingdom means choosing to live differently, being willing to do the peculiar in order that God, uh, who's so precious to us, can use us as priests. All right, those are the three Ps. Very quickly, I'll give you the last one. At the end of verse 12, we read, they will see your good deeds and give glory to God in the day he visits us. This P word I want to use is prophetic. What in the world does in the day God visits us mean at the end of that verse? They're going to give glory to God in the day he visits us. Well, I'm out of time, so let me just tell you very, care, very quickly. Uh, it means two things. Would you go to the next slide? In the next slide, I've got two verses I want to show you. Romans 14. You know this verse about every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's actually from Philippians. We sang about it today in one of those songs. But uh, Paul also mentions it in Romans 14. And the reason I have the Romans 14 one up here is it, it shows you, unfortunately, when this will come true. Uh, it's at this judgment we stand at God's judgment. And you know what? That's the day when it literally will be true that everybody bows and says, wow, you are Lord. But guess what? The problem is for many of those people by the judgment day, it's too late. Their willingness on that day to bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is too late for their own salvation. But happily, let me tell you this, that word visit, when God visits us, it's a very interesting word, and um, it's used uh, in a number of places throughout Scripture. It's actually the same word as bishop or overseer in the church, but it's turned into a verb form. So it really means in the day when God comes and oversees something. So interestingly, it not only points to the end day, but look at Acts chapter 15. It was used in this verse. Uh, they were talking about how the Gentiles were starting to believe. Nobody knew that Gentiles were going to follow Jesus, but we're seeing Gentiles believe, and we obviously saw that God's Spirit fell on them. Peter told that story, and then James, Jesus' brother, stands up in that meeting, and he says, Simon Peter has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. That word visited is the same word Peter's using. So what he's saying is, happily, we don't have to wait for the end. <laughs> the, the day that God visits isn't just the judgment day. It can happen sooner. God will show up in our lives now so that people can bow the knee and confess that Jesus is Lord while it's still not too late to be saved. That's a prophetic life. Living so that God shows up through us on behalf of others. That's a prophetic life. So 
Kingdom people are precious to God and God is precious to them. It all flows from gratitude. I hope you're grateful that you had a chance to hear about Jesus. Nothing else will propel you forward like that. Kingdom people serve as priests in this world. They say, hey, I'm not lost in this world. I'm in this world for a purpose. I want to bring people to God. I want to bring God to people. Kingdom people to do this, especially for those who have yet to ever hear about Jesus, are probably going to have to be a little peculiar and do some things differently. And kingdom people are prophetic. It's through that that God can show up while it's yet not too late. If we will live this way, the Genesis 12 promise becomes the Revelation 7 answer. <laughs> becomes the Revelation 7 picture. I want to live my life for that. Many of you are choosing to do that. When you choose to make a faith promise, when you choose to pray for the, the, the friends that you've got in those three countries and their, and their missionary work, when, when you get on board with those that are going out from among you, like some of whom we heard from today. Uh, these are maybe peculiar and different ways to live, but God will use us for what really are his purposes and why on else, why else rather <laughs> would I live my life and to live it for him. So I hope that God is speaking to you about being a kingdom person. Let me pray for you as we finish up. Thank you, Jesus, that I had the opportunity to hear about you from someone who cared to share it. What a privilege. What a precious gift it is to know about Jesus, the one who brings us back into the kind of relationship with God we were meant to have in the first place and how that changes our life. But Lord, I pray that today our eyes will be lifted above just the goodness of remembering, hey, I'm, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad my sins are forgiven. I'm glad I don't have to confess and bow the knee when it's too late to be saved. Lord, would you help us lift our eyes above and see this vision that we can be kingdom people on your behalf in this world. We won't live like the folks around us, but we will give light to the folks around us. We'll be priests on their behalf, even if it's a very peculiar thing to do. Help us to make choices with what we do with our money, what we focus on, read about and pray about, uh, who we come alongside and help uh, how we band together as a family in this church and with other churches to see your will accomplished. Lord, we want to see Revelation 7, 9 come true. Use us as kingdom people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.